Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Tolkien with Friends. Today, Callie and I are very excited to welcome Kelly, aka at the middle page on Instagram and the middle dot page on TikTok. Make sure we get those ads correct. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I know like a while ago, I was <laughs> when I first found out about this podcast, I was like, I sign me up. Can I can I come on? <laughs> and you were like immediately like, yes. And I was like, this is perfect. So I'm really yeah. happy here. Well, it's like one of the things that I mean, Kelly and and I have talked about, you know, kind of off camera and then me and Anna talked about more um, on the podcast is just how um, there there is a lot of discourse around Tolkien and you know these works but it's primarily coming from a lot of dudes <laughs> and um you so we're just out here adding our two cents uh because we find we think it's valuable and we want to provide space for more women in the space to come talk and so it's more um like of course we have like some of our our guy friends on who are lovely but really want to you know make this a a really open and welcoming space to all the women and femmes in, in the fandom as well. Absolutely. There's, there's definitely a hole. Um, I, I was just talking to my boyfriend about it not too long ago. I think before I kind of, cause I've been, um, I've been on Tolkien Instagram for mm -hmm. many years um, and go on and off it, depending on how life is treating me and how much attention I can pay towards it. So when I kind of revamped my, my middle page Instagram, in February-ish, because, you know, mm. when is coming out, all this stuff, yep. and I, I was, I remember talking to him and kind of having that same feeling of, like, you know, it is still so male-dominated, and I know that there are so many female, non-binary, and more than just men's opinions and, and enthusiasm for this work, um, so it's really awesome to be here, and it's really awesome that you're giving that platform. Yeah, well, you know, we're we're out here, we're trying, and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah thank you for being part of it. Yeah, so excited to have you. So today is also an exciting episode because we are talking about the chapters Mount Doom and the Field of Cormelon, meaning we finally get to see the destruction of the One Ring and the Fellowship being reunited again. But before we get into that, Kelly. You reached out to us after we were talking about House of the Dragon, and <laughs> I think since Anna can't be here with us, we need to hold that space for House of the Dragon in her honor and talk about dragons since so we don't have a dragon-sized gap in our show. That's so right. as of this, yes, for Anna. <laughs> <laughs> if I had any of my swords, I would like. Whip it out, <laughs> So as of this recording, you know, depending on where it lands, um, we've, we've only seen the one episode of House of the Dragon. The next one is coming out later tonight. Um, and, you know, we're definitely already seeing more dragons on the show, which is great. Um, any thoughts on what we've seen so far and what we hope to see from particularly the dragons and not the people associated with the dragons? Uh, um, We're only here for dragons. I mean, they, they look the way so far, they like they remind me of just like big puppies. So, um, you know, so like this is Anna's realm. So I don't personally have a lot of expectations. I'm just like here for it, you know? So I would love to hear both of your thoughts on, you know, what you would love to see on the show coming, coming up. Yeah, I mean, Callie, do you have any thoughts? I don't know. I don't, are you a big Game of Thrones, House of Dragon person? 
slightly less than than Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, but I have I've seen the first I saw all of Game of Thrones and I've seen this first episode and I was interested by it. I already think I liked it. Hmm. Did I like it more than well than the last season of Game of Thrones? Yes. Um, I like the dragons for sure. Uh, the characters already kind of seem a little bit more relatable. Um, mm. I enjoyed the first episode. I did. There were some moments that were it, it was yeah. an all the feels episode. There was there was a oh, lot. Yeah. There a lot was of a ups lot and downs. Going, a lot of ups and downs, and the downs were pretty down, but the ups mm -hmm. were pretty up. And um, and and yeah, I don't want to. I don't know what we're allowed to say. I don't want to spoil or anything <laughs> yeah. uh, by getting too into detail about it. But but I look forward to seeing where some of these characters go for sure. Right. I'm interested to see, like, I mean, I don't even remember everybody's name, but like Either. I, or the the daughter of the king. I'm really interested <laughs> yeah, in seeing Rhaenyra's. her really because she clearly Rhaenyra's, is that it? Yes. Okay. It's so the, the names are hard. Names are hard. Uh, I need to say them like 40 times before I'm like, oh yeah, that's it. But and then um Matt Smith's character is Damon. 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 Yeah. Okay. So I'm interested to see like their relationship change because they clearly are. The, I mean, it was like a little tense whenever they were talking, but it was always like she's definitely not the heir. He's pr pretty sure the heir, and so he felt he, you know, he's obviously pretty comfortable in like his position at that point, and like gives her that necklace. Um. So now that the king has named her as his heir and is like go away my brother and he's obviously not happy about it i'm interested to see how that relationship changes because i know we're like gearing up for a civil war from what anna has told me so um that'll be interesting and i swear like in game of thrones when like we get two of our dragons die i just hope that like we get to see a lot more of the dragons like do out and about and like doing their thing um before any like things break out you know because i'm sure that there's gonna be like i'm sure they're gonna use them against each other which also the idea of that hurts me um but you know renaris her her dragon seems so sweet like the when she they were like at the funeral at the end of the episode and she's like trying to tell him to like light the pyre he like looked at her like really are you I sure want to do that <laughs> yeah it was really cute um so i'm interested yeah. to see like all the different personalities of the dragons and like how they're you know how some people say like their dog looks like them or like people's dogs look like their owners or, or yeah behave sort of have same yeah the same i wonder if they're kind of do any of that where they're just like or like a dragon is this dragon you know what i mean like are they all just kind of like you know are some more testy yeah. than others or that's how they're going to do that that's what i was thinking is um when you ask like what what would i want or what would i what would be interesting to see move forward with the dragons definitely a sense of agency to really see these dragons on their own and then mm -hmm. also see them with their their owners i don't know if owners their the people right masters they're, they're 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 connected yeah <laughs> um but yeah because i think you know i think the relationship between damon and his dragon is going to i mean he took his dragon with him 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they made a point to show that they had that relationship. Um, so, you know, how loyal will they be? You know, I don't think everyone ha- everyone has that connection that Daenerys did in hatching those dragons and really bringing right. other mm. to those dragons. So, you know, 200 years before when dragons were just kind of around, were they given to people from birth? I actually don't know the history or not. Um, maybe yeah, that's I don't know either. already and maybe not, but, um, but I think definitely seeing some, some agency when they're out and about on their own and then how that reflects to the humans around them would be fascinating. Yeah, 100%. And I think Anna was telling me about how like, sometimes like in the, the story, um, it might've been earlier in, before like this uh, timeline or like earlier in this timeline, but that how um, sometimes the dragons don't always do it. You know, like you say, I want to land here and they'll be like, no, I don't like that. And they go and they take you somewhere else. And then you have to, you then you're like in the back. wrong location. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I think that yeah. there, there was a person in the story that that's happened to and they just like had to live in a different country I mean it's like I bet it's hard to like I, I don't know how you would get a dragon to do anything for you but you know what I mean so there, there must be something about like taking their eggs and giving them to people early or when they're tiny maybe I don't know I don't There's know some bonding that happens between dragon it has and rider. To, yeah. Because yeah. I can't imagine you just like walking up to a fully grown dragon and being like, hello. You're me now. Going, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go to places together. Like, mm, are, we, are we best friends? <laughs> right. I think we're best friends. <laughs> You know, I wonder if there's anything like, uh, you know, in Harry Potter, when like the way you have to approach a hippogriff or whatever, yeah. is there is there anything like that? Not that George is anything like in the world right. of Harry Potter, but. I mean, that's just you know. animals, animals in general, like even, yeah. even dogs, which are, you know, on the most part, very, very friendly. Um, and unless they've been, you know, treated poorly, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, even with a, a new dog, you know, or a new animals in general even animals out in the wild you know there's a certain way that you have to approach them because we are we are animals ourselves but we are all quite different um yeah. we're not in that world so we welcome them into our world and they welcome us um, mm-hmm. so i would imagine i would imagine i so. took care of a llama once for a summer at a okay <laughs> at a camp wow. and i imagine it would be like that where you you approach it with respect a great mm-hmm. a healthy amount of respect and you avoid the the spitting end the front end so the yeah. fire end and you just oh, come yeah. around the side around the neck and you let them know you're there and mm-hmm. then you move up to the front and you show them you have offerings and, mm-hmm. and oh, wow. I, I imagine it would be <laughs> Like dragons that. are llamas everybody <laughs> you, yeah did you have like a bond with the llama by the time you were you left it yeah so i was the old nobody none of the other counselors would go near this thing because they you know i had put in a summer of patience and and like very very slow bonding with it so mm. by the end of the summer i was the only person like who could feed it or do anything with it it's really special though <laughs> it is yeah <laughs> Dragons or llamas? Dragons. You heard it here first. (laughs) And that's canon. (laughs) You hear that, George? (laughs) So funny. Oh yeah. Anything else that we're you looking forward to for House of the Dragon? I know that that's not really why. I mean, why we're here, but 
I, you know, just good writing. <laughs> good yeah. writing would be really nice. I'm, I'm also re-watching Game of Thrones um, with my boyfriend and um, I've seen it a few times, but it's just mm-hmm. it's so nice to revisit those really, really well-written episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know what's coming. He kind of knows what's coming and he hasn't watched it in full. Um, oh, he, wow. knows, he knows how, you know, the last season. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think that they wouldn't do, I think that they wouldn't go forward. They couldn't go forward with this show unless they had some good writing, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm really and, looking forward to that. And you know, when I've seen, like, I've seen some clips of George talking about the show on his, on TikTok just pop up and he does seem like in a better, like he does seem happier with this show. Yeah. So, um yeah, I'm looking forward to to where this goes. Um, and you know, in thinking about dragons and this being a, a Tolkien themed podcast, um, I think it, it'd be interesting to talk about how you know in our story, Lord of the Rings that we're covering, Middle Earth is dragonless. Like we know that Smaug happened, uh, and he was the last dragon to trouble the world. Um, however, he was certainly not the only dragon to ever live on Middle Earth, nor was he the biggest or the baddest, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I thought it would be fun if we kind of talked about um, the differences in, and like the dragons from Middle Earth, whereas so far the dragons in House of the Dragon, they don't, I mean, they are, they are like a legit animal. They like, they don't have speaking abilities or, or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure they have their own priorities and things that they're thinking about. Um, but we don't, we haven't really seen things from like their perspective or heard from them per se. Whereas Smaug, he definitely talks, you know? Um, and our very first dragon, Glaurung, is definitely a talker. Um, he's back talker. in the first stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the detriment of everyone. Um, so yeah, I thought it would be interesting to to bring the the dragon conversation back to to Middle Earth as well. So Glaron, uh, I love that Glaron speaks. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he speaks to such such a doomed end. Like, <laughs> yeah. So for anybody, that, do you want to talk a little bit about who Glaurung is for our folks who may only have watched Lord of the Rings the film? Glaurung, so, okay, I saw I didn't do recent note-taking on some, some Glaurung, but um, if Just you general. Read, yeah, general, um, one of the biggest, baddest uh, dragons that we actually know and we actually hear and see from in the Silmarillion, um, mostly in the Turn Turnbar chapter, um, he is great and mighty and and knows a lot of what's going on around him and uses that knowledge uh, for the downfall of characters um, and speaks truth, uh, speaks lies and speaks truth uh, to different varying effects. And he is completely destructive, not just from beating his wings and, you know, flowing like flames, <laughs> um, but with his words and his presence um, and his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I think, I think that does that, that majesty of, of the Glaron's majesty, I think affects how dragons are taken in 
modern fantasy quite a lot because it's more mm. than just a, it's more than just them being a monster. Um, it's more than right. just being a great beast that has the power to, to you know, to destroy. It's they ha- they oftentimes have the power to, um, to change and destroy within, like with this very small ways. Yeah, they're and like often portrayed as like super manipulative. Yep. You know, and they can like, I mean, they're. And it's funny because where we have people like, or characters, I mean, like Morgoth being the biggest one and Sauron later, I mean, they, and even Sauron, you know, like they're out for their own gains and their own ends, but like Glaurong, and he definitely is like a, you know, he is like, I feel like he's got a direct line to Morgoth often, and he is able to kind of uh, know a lot about what Morgoth is thinking and I don't even know what, how that like how he created Glaurung if he put a little bit of himself into him but like I also feel like Glaurung doesn't really care so much about like the Smaug definitely doesn't care about like anybody's business but I just feel like he's just out to like wreak the most havoc he can and obviously doing that on Morgoth's behalf is like the easiest way to do it because it's I mean he's just I I he's one of those characters where like he it's like he knows and loves how bad he is and I think that's what makes him kind of fun I mean he literally as he's dying he's like laughing at Turin like haha you're still an idiot (laughs) (laughs) he's like you still married your sister you don't so he's like who really lost I'm glad I'm glad you y'all are giving much more majestic descriptions of Glaurong because I honestly just think of him as a Balrog taxi Oh, <laughs> oh! I mean, the dragons are. I think they should absolutely be feared, and I think, I mean, both are weapons of Morgoth. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think dragons are obviously more intelligent. I think a lot of that has to do with the creation of smog first, kind of, um, and like the, Tolkien, you know, based that in. Uh, from other sources, from other mm-hmm. um, medieval and um, Anglo-Saxon or um, in Norse sources, um, where they they do speak and they do have um, agency and they do have wants and desires that are separate from like you know the, their their big bad boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is, I mean, Smog and Glorin both, um, I think, act independently and 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 really kind of revel in the destruction of the world around them a little bit. Yeah, and I think that like sometimes when people hear about the dragons of Middle Earth, like everybody wants to talk about Encaligon, the black, who's just like huge. Really large. Uh, just <laughs> a big boy, you know what I mean? But like, what's sad to me about him is that like, I've never personally, like, I've n- never seen anything where you really get to know him as like a character. And I'm like, well, dang. Like he is more like Game of Thronesy in that yeah. he's just out to to do things, but he's not like we don't get to get in his head or like learn about him really. Yeah, um, yeah he just, doesn't really have a personality. Just, he just he is the yeah, <laughs> just like massive. He, yeah, he's massive. Took out he, some mountains on his way down. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that's one thing I was thinking about. Like we do have, I mean, we've got 
like three for sure named dragons. We know that more existed. We know that more um, fought with the dwarves in the third age, um, at like 2570 of the third age. Um, and there's like cold drakes and fire drakes. Fire drakes. Oh, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, we know we got different types. Um, we know that they end up eating a bunch of the dwarven rings. Um, but nom, nom, nom. yeah, I mean, it's just, it's interesting nom, nom. how like, <laughs> it's interesting how they're like, they're woven in, but the only people we were, the only ones we really get to know are, are yeah. Glaurung and, and Smaug, the first and the last. And so, I mean, I, I can only assume that they all are just kind of like thinking their own personal thoughts about whatever it is that they're doing. Um, but I, I was thinking about this and it is like pretty much a good chunk into the third age, but I'm wondering with like the way they're redoing the timeline in Rings of Power, if it's possible that we would see any dragons because um, they're not really talked about in the second age at all, but they have to be around if they're there in the third age to fight with, you know, Durin's I mean, folk. Funnily enough, I had not even thought about dragons in Rings of Power. That's I know. Really it's definitely on our minds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I mean, there, there definitely could be. Um, I don't know. I don't see a, a reason but no. I am a writer, so. Yeah, or even yeah. just like a flashback or something, like. Yeah, right. To see. Or even if or it's just kind of like, like, I don't know how much traveling is going to happen. Like, we, we know from, like, the previews and things that she's, that Galadriel is, like, on the hunt for servants mm -hmm. of Morgoth and mostly Sauron. And I, we know that Gandalf in the third age was worried about Smaug because he was worried about Sauron using Smaug, you know, like forming a little alliance there. Um, so I wonder if Galadriel will ever have a similar thought. Um, not that it's yeah. easy to take out dragons and, uh, you know, a lot of them, I mean, it's not really clear to me how they get all taken out. Um, or how they leave Middle-earth and we're only left with Smaug, so but it's a right. potential. That's, yeah, that's a hole that they could fill. I mean, that's, I think, what they're trying to do with a lot of things is, you know, all of these these missing pieces. How did we get from here to there? Um, mm -hmm. And that could definitely be one. And there's a lot of answers that they could give that, mm -hmm. you know, we simply don't have. Um, and if they do it in a really interesting and intelligent way, I'm here for it. Yeah. These exactly. questions are going to keep me up at night now. <laughs> <laughs> where did they go be... why did they go when did they yeah. go? <laughs> i think there could also be like you know there's lots of flashbacks but there's also a lot of like flash forwards like visions and stuff that we see in the palantiri so mm, yeah could be some foreshadowing and some visions possibly of of what could happen if the dragons were still around um, Ooh. that would be cool yeah hmm I'm just saying there is a dragon-sized hole in the second age and <laughs> I wouldn't be mad if somebody tried to kind of it. like dropped a dragon in there. <laughs> yeah, just like a little peekaboo. I don't know. <laughs> I'm easy to please. <laughs> you know what's interesting though is like if you 
looking at this like actually like meta is we do have house of dragons mm-hmm. and drinks power at the same time and you know they're not just airing first episodes of like relatively uh close weeks within each other but mm-hmm. they will be airing week after week and have like similar structures so if there's something to it and they that they might they might pull some inspiration from house of dragons um yeah. or they might stay away from it for that very same reason that's true mm-hmm. i mean we we know we see that sea monstery dude in uh the preview i mean we was just like some kind of like mm-hmm. thin situation so I wouldn't be surprised if we somehow got more of that. Maybe they don't necessarily take out any dragons or something, but maybe they avoid some dragons or something. They could be focusing on Balrogs instead. Yeah, we we know that that's a a part of the trailer. They made a big deal of it, yeah. Yeah, so that's true. That's true. Maybe they'll just be like, you know what? Only specifically Middle-earth-related creatures for, for now. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> if anybody, we wouldn't be mad. If there was. Yeah, we wouldn't be mad. We wouldn't be mad. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess with that. Um, speaking of evil creatures, uh, maybe we just head to Mordor, head to Mount Doom, yeah. ladies. Do <laughs> it. Okay, so I forgot to say this before, but if you are following along in the film, um, today we're talking about the section from three hours and 21 minutes and 28 seconds in to three hours and 42 minutes and 40 seconds in. So it's like 20 minutes of movie, not that much. Um, Of course, extended edition of Return of the King. Um, So the last time we saw our heroes, Frodo and Sam were about to climb Mount Doom. And the rest of the fellowship, more or less, are about to fight for their lives at the Black Gate. Um, besides the fact that the events of this chapter are sped up, to me, it, it feels pretty faithful to the books. Um, yes. And honestly, it's really one of the shortest chapters we've seen in a while. Um, and, you know, I, I was just thinking about how, like, Peter was probably, like, looking at some of these iconic lines. It was like, no, we're just going to use... There's no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Mm. And you know, I'm I'm glad you're with here with me here at the end of all things. Like, it, Tolkien did your job. Like, you don't you don't need yeah. to change this. Um, but there are some interesting changes or omissions that I would love to discuss with you two. Starting with, and this also kind of is making me think about Rings of Power. How there for the first time in this chapter but also in um the land of shadow we start to see tolkien throwing in some of sauron's thoughts you know it's, it never usually says his name he just has the dark power or the eye or something um but just for everyone's reference i've got a few of them here so the first so back in the land of shadow we see sauron clearly thinking about aragorn which makes sense you know as we previously discussed aragorn is making the bluff you know making it out as though he has the ring to confuse sauron like that's all the whole plan is like you're gonna go with a bunch of guys but not enough guys so it makes it look like you are you must have another weapon ready to go um because why would you be so bold to only go out there with like six thousand dudes um 
and it's definitely working. Uh, it says the dark power was deep in thought and the eye turned inward, pondering tidings of doubt and danger, a bright sword, a stern and kingly face it saw. And for a while it gave little thought to other things and all its great stronghold, gate on gate and tower on tower was wrapped in a brooding gloom. So we've got like a description of kind of the way Mordor is kind of uh, getting gloomier. Um, because Sauron is like really focused, he's like honing in on Aragorn and probably some of what he saw in the Pelantir, and he knows that there are coming, you know. And then in this chapter, we have in Mount Doom, we have Frodo and Sam making their way to the fiery mountain. And we notice that our hobbits aren't coming across many orcs on their road. Um, and it reads, neither man nor orc now moved along its flat gray stretches, for the Dark Lord had almost completed the movement of his forces. And even in the fastness of his own realm, he sought the secrecy of night, fearing the winds of the world that had turned against him, tearing aside his veils and troubled with tidings of bold spies that had passed through his fences. And I wanted to bring this one up because in our last episode, we talked about how the mouth of Sauron had you know, thrown the mithril coat at everybody or like shown that to everybody and acted like Frodo was being tortured. And we know that, and I was like, how much does Sauron realize that Frodo is, or like whoever that mithril coat belonged to? I don't even, he doesn't know who it was really. Like how much of it, you know, is he aware of? Like, obviously he's lying, but, you know, I was just thinking like, does he think, Frodo's still at Kirathungul? Does he know that he's escaped? But like here is where it's like, yeah, he knows that he's out running around there somewhere and he's worried about it. Um, but at the same time, the way that he's acting is allowing Frodo to get closer to Mount Doom. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And then probably my favorite moment where we're kind of touching in checking in with, with Sauron is um, as Frodo and Sam come upon the road to the crack of doom, the clouds move for a brief moment because we've been talking about how Sauron is kind of creating this extra gloom around him um, and the clouds move and Frodo sees the Tower of Baradur and it says, one moment only it stared out, but as from some great window immeasurably high, there stabbed northward a flame of red, the flicker of a piercing eye. And then the shadows were furled again and the terrible vision was removed. The eye was not turned to them. It was gazing, gazing north to where the captains of the west stood at bay and thither all its malice was now bent as the power moved to strike its deadly blow. But Frodo at the dreadful glimpse fell as when stricken mortally, his hand sought the chain about his neck. And so I was just thinking about like, like Sauron, knows that there's somebody walking around Mordor that he doesn't want there, but he is so obsessed with like Aragorn and the potential that he's so convinced that Aragorn must have the ring that he can't think about anything else. Like obviously to his own detriment. Um, and it's just, it's like, it's interesting that like, 
and I, and I wonder if it's like because Frodo has the ring that he's able to you know it's all like talking about the dark lord and the eye and a flash of flame but I'm almost like and we know from what Gollum has told us is that he's got a, like he's got a physical form you know unlike what we see in the movies that Sauron has hands he's missing a finger um and so I'm almost like because Frodo has the ring for a brief second did he like catch a actual glimpse like I know it calls it a flicker of flame but like of the eye but I'm almost like did Frodo catch an actual glimpse of Sauron like brooding in his tower for a second here I mean maybe I think it might be vague on purpose a little bit um Mm -hmm. I think I love the idea of of Frodo maybe catching a glimpse of Sauron when Sauron is completely overlooking him. Mm-hmm. No, it's mm-hmm. the it's the complete underestimating um, of the hobbits and the little folk and the just the, it, the two hobbits, the two hobbits and their friendship and their ability to together go up the slopes of Mount Doom and, and defeat him. Mm-hmm. Um, no, could could Frodo so there's like this ring thing where ring bearer to, like ring bearers can see other ring bearers or former mm-hmm. ring bearers or um do you like do you think Frodo was getting like some sort of special mm-hmm. inside it kind of feels like it look because uh, as a ring bearer like to ring bear yeah I looked at the window from that afar oh yeah that's a like, that's an eagle eye shot that, that kind of like zero in of like mentally and physically being able to to kind of see into that window yeah because it makes me think of the moment when he's on the seat of Amon Hen and he's wearing the ring I mean obviously he's not wearing the ring but he's like in the rings neighborhood um and (laughs) he's wearing it and he's able to like see and that's like the first time where he does like freak out because he can tell that Sauron is like searching for him and but he's also able to see like all these like war-torn areas and like um, just like pretty much in any direction he looks, he can see for hundreds of miles. And I'm almost like with the ring, because you like the ring is definitely very active at this point. And so far, like the way that it's kind of driving Frodo mad at the same time. Um, so I wonder if just the proximity to it would have given him like a little flash like it because it didn't really work you know the same way or maybe even just Sauron is in his room near this window and he's doing some kind of sorcery thing to make this flame Mm. pop up I don't know but I I kind of like the idea of him being able to yeah like some dark magic kind of or like his uh letting his guard down a little bit Mm -hmm. and and then in Frodo kind of glimpse like sneaking in and just like seeing that for a split second really yeah yeah and also it's just like this is all of the characterization that we see of Sauron um really in the books uh I mean outside of the appendices of what Sauron is but it's interesting I wonder if the showrunners will draw upon any of this as far as the way that Sauron is I mean when he's thinking about something he's just so like singularly focused you know and if they will use any of this for inspiration and the way that they write whoever ends up being Sauron in the show 
Yeah, I can see that happening for sure. Um, especially with, you know, whatever Galadriel does and um, her taking advantage of that and learning that relatively quickly um, could be really, really interesting fodder um, for, mm-hmm. for their dynamic between one another. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's so interesting to think about how for the most part, Tolkien puts us in the shoes of whoever's kind of like least aware of what's going on. Um, and a lot of the times it's Sam, you know, or, you know, it's like Mary and Pippin if we're separated, you know what I mean? And, but here he's kind of like, by the way, here's what Sauron's doing. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's an interesting like perspective shift because it's almost always starting out with just describing the scenery around them or like the physical situation that they're in and then it kind of like pans over to what Sauron's thinking about um well I also wonder too there's not much room in Frodo's mind you know when Tolkien goes on you know those descriptions um Mm -hmm. it's most often how the characters are influenced and affected by their surroundings it's not just the surroundings themselves it's the characters experience with that Frodo, where he is right now, can't have those interact. He can't have an inner interaction with his surroundings because he's mm. solely focused and taken over by the rain. So the one thing he can focus on, the one thing he can kind of feel affected by, mm. is Sauron. Um, yeah, that's a really maybe, interesting yeah. thought. Yeah. So and it's Sam- kind of almost like here's how Sam's fe- like this. Mm-hmm. Sam's got the Sam's able to see and feel and experience and Frodo is zeroed Frodo's in. Frodo's naked in the dark right? Is, yes. Is, is yes. how he puts it yeah. Yeah. No veil between him and no the wheel veil. of fire. Yeah. Uh, and I just have to say that like I still like we talked we touched on this last time but the Lesha would do such a good job at this oh, point of the just acting. Being, like just him crawling, him crawling. Yes, yeah. like him, like really the good. desperation, and like he's still doing it. But like the fear, I don't know. Like the everything is so good, and I and I just wish that in the movies that they had kind of saved all of that for just in Mordor rather than like because he Frodo has been kind of like overcome by evil like a few times whereas he's supposed to be very resilient to it you know and resistant to it um so I mean it's just like he he does such a phenomenal job and like obviously if Sean Aston doesn't have you sobbing at any moment just like oh god the little and the looks between them I mean the eyes it's all in the eyes it's incredible um, how they made those words on the page come to life in 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 their acting, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, they do they do a fantastic job, and um, and something that in relation to their you know bond and like their um, how they're interacting with each other, there is a moment here when. Frodo, after seeing his little glance of Barad-dûr or whatever it is he's seeing, he, this is only, this is one of the only times that we have Frodo explicitly ask Sam for help. And it's, you know, help me, Sam, hold my hand. I can't stop it. He can't stop grasping. He's trying to put the ring on and he's like, I can't not do it at this point. You know what I mean? Like Sam has 
helped him in the past with stuff like this without Frodo ever having to say anything. But at this point, he's like, I, I, I don't have it left. You know, I don't have anything left. And so this, you know, Sam holds his hand and then carries him again for that last stretch up the mountain. Um, and Sam in that moment assumes that Sauron has seen them based on Frodo's reaction, even though he, luckily he hasn't. Um, and so he, it's, he's just trying to get to the door to the crack of doom as, as fast as possible. Just like the, in this chapter, we see Sam like ha- lose hope completely, but yet harden his resolve yeah. multiple times. It's and- his best moment. <laughs> mm. His best moment where he thinks, so this was my mission. Mm-hmm. This was my mission to die with Frodo. You know, it's really up until this point that he thinks he's going to go home. And it's yeah. really only here until he, he really realizes we don't have enough provisions. Yeah. We're, we're not going back. And his, what is the quote? It's like his, his hobbit face hardened. Like, it's like it brings yes. back the idea of like him being a hobbit and ha- pulling strength from that. And, and it just really reminds you of how incredibly strong he is and hobbits are in general um, yeah but I love that moment it's at the at only at the darkest does he does he maybe he gives up on his the journey home but he doesn't give up on Frodo exactly for, like for he loses hope for himself right. and for Frodo really mm-hmm. um but he doesn't lose hope for the quest yeah he he's like yeah, you know he, what i made a promise mm-hmm. i have like, to see that through yeah he's like we've we've made it this far you know i'm not we're not gonna give it up now and but, uh, but we know in tolkien that oaths are never taken lightly so <laughs> yeah i mean if you think about that moment too of him him saying this is it i'm gonna carry out my oath mm-hmm. until the end and then you juxtapose it with Frodo is saying, I'm glad you're here with me mm-hmm. here at the end of all things. It's just so beautiful for them to have those individual moments for each other. Just like such good writing. Uh, <laughs> it good is writing. so good. It is yeah. so good. Yeah. And I'm just like their relationship is so sweet. It is, um, I mean, we, we should all hope to have like, or Sam, or even our Frodo. You know what I mean? Like he's just so ride or like definition of ride or die. You know, <laughs> um, and just how it's like, and you know, we're getting to a point where like no, everyone's freaking starving and thirsty, and Frodo is so small now that like Sam doesn't even, you know, worry about having to carry him. He's like, yeah. I got this, you know, all that, carrying all those pots and pans, all these hundreds of miles, you know, yeah, you know, he's got some strong thighs uh, and back, you know what I mean? Um, And and I'm sure Frodo weighs less than that. Although I'm always a little sad when Sam has to toss his pots and pans, but I love that he's like, doesn't want Gollum to get them or anybody? He's the like, little stinker. He's like petty <laughs> like about them. He's like, don't go near my my precious pots. Like he throws them into like a a pit somewhere. Not that Gollum cooks his food anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, 
You just can't stand the <laughs> it's just, idea. It's just, yeah, just fun. yeah. That's which is yeah, fair right. after everything that's happened. Yeah, but he yeah. makes sure to keep the Galadriel's gift, both Frodo and Sam, the file as well as the dirt and seeds, um, you know, and like their elven cloaks and and things like that. But he, but like the backpacks and he he kept some Lembus bread in his pocket or something. But like yeah. most and of it, it's true. What, um, what Frodo says, "I shall carry no weapon, foul or fair." I think that's really telling too. Is they they really are discarding all of the elements that they've used thus far to propel them on their journey. This is it. Get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough. But you know, speaking of oaths, um, then we've got Gollum, who probably made the most uh, treacherous promise of all, mm -hmm. which was, you know, to help Frodo and not to harm him. And he swore on the ring. On the precious. <laughs> on the precious. So, um, here we have Gollum show up in full again. We saw him briefly previously, um, but now he is back, you know, just as they make it to the door. And, you know, it's interesting, like, in the movie, it's not that big of a difference. Like, Frodo still walks away and goes first. But in the book, he, um, you know, Frodo beats him you know it makes a point of saying like how shriveled Gollum has become and how like poorly he has done since they've been in Mordor whereas Frodo and you know Sam has been making sure they've been eating and, and like getting water and stuff but I feel like Gollum this whole time has just been driven by rage and you know has been, lost his mind a little bit um after the whole Shelob thing not working out um and so we have they they do fight but Gollum is so weak and Frodo is, is a little bit crazy because he's trying to take the ring. And so Frodo wins, but he ha but Sam has a moment where he sees Frodo as like a figure robed in white with a wheel of fire at his breast. And out of the fire, a voice says, be gone and trouble me no more. If you touch me ever again, you shall be cast yourself into the fire of doom. And so, you know, in the movie, they don't really touch on the promise that Gollum made. They have the scene, but they never really show like what that means or how that affects Gollum in any way. And to me, this is like more than Frodo saying, back off, dude. It's the ring saying, telling Gollum what's going to happen if he betrays his promise to Frodo, uh, that which, you know, as we just said, was made on the ring. And, you know, ultimately it comes true because Gollum attacks Frodo one more time inside the mountain and in his triumph falls into the fire. Uh, you know, so it's, um, it's really interesting how, like they have Gollum make the promise in the movie, but they never really show like how it, changes Gollum's behavior or how it how that is in, you know explicitly tied to his falling and so therefore they have to have Frodo um be the one that kind of like knocks him into the fire accidentally and his they're both trying to get the ring um any any thoughts on on that on how like Gollum's promise plays out or how it's portrayed in the film I think that idea that you just had is wonderful. I think that I, I, I haven't. Yeah, I hadn't heard. I'm that still before. thinking about it. 
I, I love um, that. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I, I, I always kind of read it as just something from a, like a, it feels ancient, feels something from mm-hmm. afar. It feels like something else um, that's not happening right now, but some, from a song, like it kind of feels like has that myth feel mm-hmm. to it. And I never really thought about it as being like the here and now of the ring holding on to its bargain. Um, which I think is just so good. Um, Cause there's a similar thing that happens in the Emin Muil when Gollum is, you know, making the promise and Sam sees Frodo again, like kind of as like a kingly figure and Gollum is like a dog pawing at his feet. And it's almost like Gollum has sworn to serve Frodo. And it's almost like this, this moment is like, okay, like, here, here, here we are again, and you're, you're trying to break it, but you, it cannot be broken. Um, and, and it's fascinating. Um, so, cause Sam sees this vision and is like, okay, weird. Uh, and then Frodo walks off tall and erect, but slowly. And he's like, I'm going to deal with Gollum. This is what I've been waiting for, you know, and Gollum begs for his life. And Sam's like, not worth it. And he, he tells him to go away and then Gollum obviously does not go away. Um, but then he goes to catch up with Frodo. And so it's like uh, this, that also reminds me of in, when they're in the Emmanuel and Frodo saves Sam from Gollum. And he is like, you know, it's threatens his life. But then he's like, well, now that I do see him, I, I pity him. And it's not until you have that choice, you know, that like, where you clearly have the upper hand that suddenly it hits you that like Gollum is miserable. Like this is, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not worth it. It's not. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think exactly like your point on, on pity is really important because, you know, pity stayed his hand with Bilbo, with Frodo. And at that last moment with the ring, the ring will not have pity. The ring will cast you in. Mm-hmm. That me is gone. You don't, the, the ring, whether it's itself working through Sauron, working mm-hmm. through Moto at that moment, the ring does not have the pity that the hobbits do. And that's, it's gone. Yes. Um, it's, it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's great. I mean, it's just like, and, and I get that this is like hard to communicate through film. <laughs> and I'm not saying that like they should have necessarily, but I am saying that like, here's where the books and the movies really differ. I, I One of my biggest like things that I'm always harping on <laughs> is like the difference of how Gollum and Frodo and Sam's relationship is in, in, the, in the book and um, how, you know, they're, there is supposed to be this like, it's almost like you can't help yourself but to feel sorry for, for Gollum. And, and I don't think it like comes across so much in the film. And, um, but also like, it's interesting to have Frodo say this, you know, like you'll, you shall be cast into the fire um, because he has always been the one being like, no, Sam, like, like we've got to, yeah. you know. There's redemption. Uh, Mm-hmm. Possible, possible yeah and you know as we've talked about 
recently is that I mean that moment on the stairs of Kirithungo was like a big turning point for Gollum but I also think for Sam like that he just couldn't he couldn't it was almost he didn't have the moment of pity until too late till just now but at the same time at the same time before Frodo says here at the end of all things he's saying to Sam that Gollum you know Sam is saying that Gollum has gone forever and Frodo responds yes but do you remember Gandalf's words even Gollum may have something yet to do but for him, Sam, I could not have destroyed the, the ring. The quest would have been in vain, even at the bitter end. So let us forgive him, for the quest is achieved and now all is over. I am glad you are here with me here at the end of all things, Sam. So it's like, as soon as Frodo snaps out of it, you know, he's back to, I mean, he's always ca calling back to these words from Gandalf. I mean, I feel like Gandalf is often their guiding light. Um, there is a moment as well, what we were just talking about when, Sam loses his hope, but at the same time is like, I don't think Gandalf would have sent Frodo on a mission with no hope. Um, but hey, I, I don't see it right now. So, you know, I just love these, these callbacks to Gandalf and, you know, these two who fully have no clue that Gandalf has come back. Mm -hmm. um, um, so I don't know, I think it's just, um, really beautiful and I, I love that like Frodo at his core I mean he is just he is so, not only is he like wise and everything but he is such a he's just a good guy you know yeah yeah he you're right he doesn't waste a moment between I mean he's not even like man that guy like bit my finger like how that hurt Gollum he's like forgive him he he's helped um, I think that's just such a testament to his character. I think you're right. Yeah, totally agree. Oh, that's, that's not in the movie. Um, <laughs> there's so many things that I wish I could change about Frodo just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Not that I would want to take away from like their their sweet moment that they have, you know, like, I'm glad you're here with me. Well, Sam is like crying about Rosie. But... Yeah, Rosie. <laughs> oh yeah, Rosie Cotton. <laughs> yeah. Rosie Cotton dance. If I could have married I'm anyone, <laughs> it would have been her. <laughs> Frodo's like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, How dare you? I'm, I'm right here, here Sam. Right here. <laughs> I mean, he literally does do that. <laughs> oh, they're so precious. Um, and then, you know, so if we're back to the movie, you know, we do see at this moment, you know, the the black gate falling in on itself. And Tolkien doesn't describe Baradur falling, um, but I think it definitely works as yeah. far as just the way that, um, <laughs> I mean, because we always have Sauron as a big eyeball in- If it, if it didn't disappear, if it didn't crumble, yeah I mean, there'd be a huge a huge thing missing just visually and if you saw the armies crumble without that big representation of what and who Sauron was yes for three films mm -hmm. yes yeah mm -hmm. I I think that it's like well if the black gate is gonna fall like might as well make better do a fall down too um and and the way that he just kind of like the eye it obviously looks like it's in pain and then it like blips you yeah. know yeah it does like this stressful thing <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> <laughs> you can't make my eyeball pop out of my hand but you don't know, do that that's none, you know of, what I mean? none of us try to visualize but the way that it like it widens you know yeah, yeah. um yeah. it's fear it's fear for the first moment that we've seen yeah 
exactly exactly and but we do get a visualization of something a little different that i thought was really interesting and i wanted to to call it out um it describes a huge shape of shadow impenetrable lightning crowned filling all the sky enormous it reared above the world and stretched out towards them a vast threatening hand terrible but impotent For even as it leaned over them, a great wind took it, and it was all blown away and passed. And I'm like, where the movie gives us eye blip, you know, kind of (laughs) flipping out of existence. Is this Sauron's spirit leaving Middle-earth, like with the destruction of the ring? I think Saruman's did a similar thing when... He's definitely wind on the, you know, like an evil wind or something. Uh, yeah yeah I would I would I would say that's what it is like just but then he doesn't go because we know he's not where does he go where does that go I don't know there's probably not much left of him I mean you know to his own detriment because he poured so much of himself into that ring Mm -hmm. uh, which is a physical object that can be destroyed so I, I I'm sure there's something left of him but not enough to do much. I think it is a representation of Sauron's spirit leaving, but I think it's also indicative of nature's response mm. to Sauron um, because the relationship of nature within Middle Earth between what's going on, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we'll see this, you, you know, you see this time and time again, but we'll see this next with nature kind of returning and um, spring happening and the white tree glowing when the re- literally the return of the king um, mm-hmm. is, a, is a steward of, of land and earth. And um, so having the, that nature's elements at play, you know, it's always going to be important. So having this, you know, look, and especially the sky too, the sky and the stars and the clouds and everything mm-hmm. is so important with what's going, it's always mirrors what's happening within the character's journey. And so yes. to, to, again, to have this, you know, to have this missing would be, um, you can't do it. If you're, if you're talking, you can't, you can't not talk about what the sky looks like at the end of the evil thing. Yes. Right. Um, so you have to have, have this clearing of the sky so that you can see the stars clear again. Um, a, a new hope kind of, you know, mm-hmm. a new dawn. The stars are so important. Yes. <laughs> they are. They are very much. It's so interesting how Tolkien, as soon as... Aragorn you know like there's a point where Legolas is like mm, the wind is changing and everyone was like okay weirdo um like back at the Pelennor fields they're like what are you okay, talking about <laughs> like, where you know but then like really like as soon as Aragorn comes up and everyone like ever since that moment we've constantly been seeing this this wind returning and like whether it's showing um sam the stars that are still shining above mordor or it's blowing this massive shadow away i mean we've we've seen it for several chapters now and it does feel a little also divine like is it a stretch to think that like the wind from eagle's wings Mm. yeah yeah i do love when the eagles show up um and and you know they're they're just kind of cool in the movie um you know i like that we do kind of get to see them like 
try to battle it out with the the fell beast with the Nazgul even though in the book they actually like the Nazgul are actually being told to like get the hell out of there go get to my mountain there's a problem um so they like run away from the eagles but I do I do like the the visual to show that they're like their size and everything um and also we do get a quick little guai here line uh where Gandalf is like hey sorry dude can I get a can I get a lift and he's like yeah I would take you even if you were made of stone and I'm like oh love it it is true yes I loved that because like most of the time the eagles kind of protest a little bit when you ask them for a favor they're like all right but not to the end of the earth buddy you know um (laughs) but this time they're like Gandalf yeah you're yeah. a guy. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> yeah. I do Gandalf. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally get why they couldn't have talking eagles in yeah. the movies. Um, it it's really hard to do talking animals. Um mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why Chronicles of Narnia it's such a challenge to yeah. make those films um kind of like majestic in a way. Yeah. In the, mm-hmm. in the um, so I understand not having having talking animals. Um, yeah. They would have had to do the the mind speak. Yeah, yeah, where they just kind of like look at each other and they, yeah, there's understanding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's a moth, yes. yes, yes, that's what we get instead. You're I, right, I, I would love the moth, yes, the moth. <laughs> again. It's, it's bringing it back to nature and bringing it back to some like the, the smallest things, things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was, do love that line from Wicked, yeah, it's a good one, it's a good yeah. one. I think that so, moth deserves a name by this point. I mean, it's it's shown up several times and saved him many times. It deserves to live in a little, I don't know what moths want to live in, but he should have it as a pet and just carry it a around. Little shrine, a little shrine, hand off in the moth. A little lantern yeah. thing. A little, yeah. little side adventure of the two of them kind of going off on their own. Oh. <laughs> and we have a spinoff show. Ah. <laughs> I'd watch it. I yeah, would. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> just Gandalf whispering to a moth and them doing epic things. Yeah. Yes. So funny. <laughs> uh, and I should okay. imagine someone to be like, hey, is this a Gandalf moth or is this just like a regular moth? Like, <laughs> what are you talking to that for? It won't talk back. <laughs> <laughs> like, do we revere this moth or do we like ignore it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <the> difference. <laughs> do that moth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, so yeah, so speaking of eagles, uh, our boys get a lift, and you know, then segue to Nick the, the chapter uh, field of the field of Kermalin. Um, It's really like not in the movies. I mean, there's the scene of uh, Frodo waking up, which is inspired by this. Um, but of course, in the book, you know, Frodo and Sam wake up in the same room. You know, of course, it's Gandalf to well, well, you know, wake them up. It's uh, very. Rivendell-ish, but they're an Athelian. Uh, in case anybody didn't know, they're an Athelian. Um, they haven't made it all the way back to Minas Tirith yet. And you know, I feel like the that that scene could totally be an Athelian um, because the next shot after they're all like laughing together is Minas Tirith, so that could imply that they've changed location. Um, so like that's fine, and and I get that they you know, have, they have the fellowship kind of reunite in this way. And, um, and like, but Sam is the last one to like enter the room and they just kind of like smile sadly yet knowingly at each other. And I'm not saying that this is like a bad choice, but I honestly don't know how I feel about it compared to like them 
being in the same room together and experiencing everything together. I have always felt the same. I've always understood the choice and I yeah. respect it and I do like it, but I don't know if I would like it better than something else. And right. um, I don't want it to be joyous, you know, I don't want it to be, it just, but it is weird. It is weird to have him kind of come and last. I think it might be that more than anything that has me. It's not the look they share. The look they share is perfect, I think. Yeah. But mm. it's, it's that him kind of coming in last is so undeserving. Yeah. For what he did. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that having that moment so close to <laughs> Sorry, I just picture them all in the hallway lining up to get to Frodo's room and Legolas and Gilly just shoving Sam aside, being yeah. like, I was yeah. first. I was first. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm like, why why are you in a different room? Like he's yeah. obviously they were both wearing kind of like the same nightgown type situation. Like they have their own accommodations, but like they all show up to Frodo's room. I don't know. I'm just like, um, you can't really know. <laughs> There's something odd about it. There's something that I can't really put my finger on. Um, yeah. But yeah, in the book, it's it's like Sam wakes up later and Frodo's, and he's like, oh, Frodo's still sleeping. And Frodo's like, huh, I've been up. I'm yeah. waiting on you. I yeah, I love that book part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cute. And then, you know, Gandalf is telling them, like, I mean, obviously, like, oh, wow, shit, Gandalf is here, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Gandalf is telling them about, like, it's the whatever day of the new year or yeah whatever day of april and the shire reckoning um and and i'm just like okay that's cool uh get up coming in with dates always mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and you know then he takes them to i mean they they first thing they do is they they go see aragorn really the mm-hmm. king and it's it's this moment where and then there's a feast afterwards but the moment where sam realizes that it's aragorn that's the king because it because mm-hmm. gandalf being freaking gandalf he like doesn't he just, say like oh yeah you'll go it's, to see the king you'll go yeah. to see the, who's he's the king like, <laughs> he's not, like, telling them. they're like okay they're like sure uh, I great guess. another stranger yay yeah, right. yeah. and and i love that Sam so he sees Aragorn sitting on a throne and it's not like the throne but there's a throne here um and he says well if this isn't the crown of all Strider I'm still asleep (laughs) and the way Aragorn responds is just I mean I I cry a lot of the time when I read this line um he says yes Sam Strider it is a long way is it not from Bree where you did not like the look of me a long way for us all but yours has been the darkest road Ooh. I don't like clench my fist. I'm about to <laughs> <laughs> breathe, breathe. It gets me. It gets me. Because it's just like but so. But what a way to sum up the journey, right? From when you saw me and Bree and did not like me and to now and you're overjoyed to see me on the throne. Like, yeah. Like... And just the acknowledgement that like, not to Frodo, but to Sam. Sam. That yours has been the darkest road. And I know it, it could be referring to both of them, but he's saying it to Sam. And this is like, they don't talk that much to each other, you know? And so it's just, I love that he picks out that, you know, that it's Sam and Aragorn's talking to each other rather than Frodo and Aragorn, which is more typical. Um, and like the much respect. Yes. And so much understanding between them of what has gone, what has happened. Um, and Aragorn having seen Sam take care of Frodo literally on the road for so long he he has to know without anybody saying anything that it's it's Sam that got Frodo to where he needed to be you know 
Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> the tear. Cue the tear. <laughs> it's like, and you're, when you're reading that, it is, I mean, it's tear after tear. There are like quote after quote after quote that just, when Sam hears the singing, when at the- Oh my God, things, yes. It's just mm. everything. And then in the movie too, I think they do a good job. You know, you bow, you bow to no one. Okay, let me just cry right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's yeah, they, they, I love that they do that because Aragorn does bow before them here and, you know, leads them to the throne and they sit beside him. Um, and I love the way that they, they do it, like, after his coronation. Um, it's, it's very beautifully done. I think that that's one of the things, like, I've, I've, you know, been trying to, like, think through my thoughts as we go about, like, how I feel about the books and the movies um, with this direct comparison that we're doing. And, like, I think for sure that Fellowship is still my favorite, but there is something so incredibly heartwarming. There's so, there, I think Return of the King has a lot of heart, like, especially at the end here. Um, like, once we get past the Battle of the Bel Pelennor Fields and Peter can't, like, blow everything up you know i mean like he loves a good battle scene i i'll give it to him but um when we have these moments between the characters i mean that's what i eat up you know yeah the moments of eucatastrophe as well like yes. peter jackson did not ignore that um i mean it's written in so you kind of can't but <laughs> it's very powerful powerful moment like you know what is it joy as as poignant as grief mm, yes but yes so it's 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 powerful and you feel that and you feel that when you're reading it and you I think there's moments in the movies where you feel that when you're watching it too um I never felt like there was like 10 endings I when I got out of that theater and mm -hmm. we were like there were like 10 endings I was like what are you what are you talking about I was like dude what? it should we not have ended <laughs> yeah I was like it was only three hours <laughs> yeah I was like it should have been five uh, yeah. yeah yeah no I remember seeing in theaters and people standing up several times and I'm just sitting I, there I'm like no wait nope. stop we're missing it section. wait until it <laughs> says the end yeah. psychos <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was ready for it to just keep on i was like okay and now begin sam's story i'll yeah. wait you know yeah i want to yeah. see all his mayorships like let's yes. just, we're sitting here till the end yep. <laughs> every election i want to see every election <laughs> I, I do i want to see mary and pippin doing their thing i want to um, see pippin get married oh yeah yeah <laughs> i'm glad that we do get to see <laughs> sam get married um but when you were talking about you catastrophe and that description and then it just made me think about when they Gandalf is speaking to them for the first time you know when he says the great shadow has departed and then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land and as he listened Sam listened the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count it fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known but he himself burst into tears then as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer I think people recognize that one mm -hmm. uh, his tears ceased and his laughter welled up and laughing he sprang from his bed he's just so in touch with his emotions and and it's just so well written and that is that is a beautiful that is beautiful that's a beautiful way to describe and a very realistic way to describe 
how overwhelming all these you know all the emotions you can be yes i mean it's just the way that Tolkien is able to tap into not these, not only these moments of like really visceral fear, but these overwhelming moments of joy. Joy, yes. He describes joy very interestingly. Yeah. Joy so. as deep as sorrow. Um, I, I, when I was doing my reread for this podcast, that passage um, really stood out to me this time as well. And uh, I love that it's a... Um, described as song as well because I think songs are so important to middle earth <laughs> so yeah. important to Tolkien um but the ability I mean as I mean if you read the Silmarillion you know that like, there's literal song battles um this is this is an important thing so to just there's so many analogies within that passage but to to first compare it to a song and then to again bringing in that nature um it's mm-hmm. all it's all tied into one another and it's all um, for Sam to get that too from an outside source is so important because he's been the strength for Frodo yes. for so long. So much as someone else to kind of open that gate a little bit for him, just kind yes. of open it up and uh, and kind of have that him have that contagious laughter uh, is so beautiful. It's like what he needed, it's the healing he needed in that moment. Yeah, I think that there's, um, you know, I. I feel like there's some kind of, sometimes like a misconception around like who Gandalf is in some ways and it's like like sure he's like a mover and shaker and he can lead on the battlefield um but at the same time like he's providing emotional support like you know what I mean like he and we'll, we'll see that again later when things get like a, a different kind of sad but um just the way that he you know I mean he's described as like quick to laugh and um also just how he's able to you know allow everybody to kind of feel their feels um which I really love about him we're gonna ball our way through the last episode we're not even there yet and I'm already just (laughs) holding on to it like oh every quote just I'm gonna be like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing the music in my head. Yeah. Oh, like, but but back, like, way back to the movies. I don't. I probably should have brought this up movie, but the music, um, making oh all God. these scenes all the more poignant. When when um, Sam picks Frodo up, and and the beginning oh, of that yes. into, into the mean, West. Yes, like, every time into oh. the West comes on. It's. I mean, it's. Yeah it's such a good song but like the way that they sprinkle it in through these like big epic moments where it's like it it is really um scoring their resolve and their you know um determination to keep going even when they they don't have a lot of hope and then we see it again at the end of the movie where it is more um it is more hopeful with like the descriptions of valinor and all of that so it's interesting. It's uh, it's beautifully woven in, and um, oof, we have definitely not talked about the music enough. And, <laughs> but, but I think that that is a huge part of how these movies have like carved a special place in people's hearts, because it's not like obviously there's the acting is insane, like we've we've talked about, and the visuals are gorgeous, but the the way that um they are able to get away with 
the loss of so many lines, I think it is because of the way that Howard Shore scored these films and really um, or something that Anna said previously, like is able to really establish a sense of place also through the music as well. So we've got this like, this world feels very vast without ever having to explain it to us in a lot of ways. Um, and it is, feels very rich. And I think that the music has a, a big part of that. Absolutely. It's stunning. I have no words to, um, to add to that, except like in, in total agreement. Um, I love, I love the, the elves have kind of their own theme and you always know when like that hint of elvish hope is coming mm -hmm. um yeah the 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 swell of music during that scene like you said Callie oh. it's, it's, it's what it's that and Sam you can picture Sam's face right as he oh, pulls yeah. up Frodo it's like that moment oh. combined you just you can't help but cry and feel like the the full weight the full emotional weight of what's happening it's so brilliantly done yeah absolutely Absolutely. I feel like I need a little catharsis after this. Uh, <laughs> you can, like rewatch it a couple yeah, times. Yeah, like, I, like, I know. I feel like I should go rewatch this scene because <laughs> yeah. when I was watching it, you know, I'm like taking notes and like I'm pausing it. I'm like, what exactly did you say? And you know, what? Where are the cuts happening? But um, to just, you know, when I'm able to just sit there and, and watch it and kind of let it like wash over me in a, in a way um and just like being in that moment with Frodo and Sam it's like oh and not to mention like the absolute um the moment when the it blows up like the mountain blows up and you see everyone else in the fellowship's face go from happiness to, to despair Frodo. and yeah right. and and you know like the way that their faces change is also so on point yeah. i mean because yeah. that's not a, a described really uh in the book either and but like what would that moment be without the reacting to that explosion yeah um, it's so it's so real too to have the, those hand in hand those emotions hand in hand just mm -hmm. so on your face and like how often have you been well, there you're like we did it oh crap we did it yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that means that this must have also happened. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, and and the fact that like, so we see them do that, but then at the same time, Gandalf is like, "Fuck it, we gotta go make sure we gotta double check." <laughs> like, yeah. They're okay. Go, go, go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh. it's the yeah. not giving up, not giving up on Frodo mm -hmm. until the very last end too. Sam yes. doesn't do it. Gandalf doesn't do it. Mm. Yes, I think that is one thing that we've we've talked mm -hmm. about. Um, but it really it like comes full circle here where it's like never at any point do any of the fellowship members ever say, well, there's no way Frodo is still going or there's no way that, you know, Mary could have been. Ditch, ditch somewhere. Yeah, like they, 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 until they learn otherwise, we are going to operate under the assumption that everybody is doing their, the thing that they, we set out to do, um, you know, and it, that's how they're able to, to defeat Sauron, you know? Yeah. But that is like Adagorn's nickname is Estelle, is Hope. Mm -hmm. so, it's a good nickname. It's a good, it's a good nickname, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's so good. I mean, it's interesting to think about 
like how he I mean obviously he's the hope for his line and like the hope for the kingdom but he he also like helps revive hopes you know Mm -hmm. um like as a dude as a part of his character which I'm like how did you get to be like that studying Gandalf yeah (laughs) I dare say Mm-hmm. Yeah, even you grow up in Rivendell. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, I kind of have some some, and you're of the Numenorean line. I guess there's some inherent wisdom that you walk <laughs> out with. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Boromir. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, it, this is. I, I mean, it's crazy to think that we're already here at the destruction of Mount Doom and, you know, all for the rest of the book, I mean, it is, I mean, it's slightly different, you know, it's not yeah. so much like us trying to meet, we've met our goal, you know, and so now it's kind of like what happens next. Um, yeah. And for the chapter wise, that means the next time we're talking about the steward and the king. So Aragorn officially accepting I mean like everybody's already calling him king and he's like but now we do the ceremonial parts um and we we start to make the trip home for the hobbits and um it'll be interesting because there's so much more in the book mm-hmm. now I yes mean, always but now it's really starting there's like hundreds of pages still in the book yes um, it's gonna get weird that, that happens that they really have to kind of couple of sharp deviations that we're gonna yeah. have to make <laughs> yeah there's like whole chapters uh, worth That's, of stuff yeah. that it's just like i think it'll be interesting when we're like doing the direct comparison um to be like okay like they just flash to this and then that's all we get from that chapter or like the scouring mm-hmm not a one we're gonna talk about sharky are we (laughs) yeah i mean i will talk about saruman as much as y'all will let me so (laughs) it's such like a petty thing when you get to that chapter you're like what this dude like yeah really you came here like it's so ridiculous and it's it's gonna be crazy when we get to homeward bound next time because we're gonna run into him yeah on the road not not doing so hot and Mm -hmm. and it's almost like because he wasn't in the Shire yet um so it's like he didn't do stuff in the Shire for that long of a period but he like wreaked a lot of havoc um little menace yeah it's just he's so petty yeah it's petty it's an ugliness and ugliness yeah. moves pretty fast I think yeah it's uh that's true but it's funny too like how often do you see like the like one of the big bad you know people like at the end of all things like this great epic uh dismissal of of Sauron and then you've got <laughs> cut to Saruman just kind of like weakly walking around and you're like oh yeah you would kind of maybe see him walking around being pathetic <laughs> it's funny <laughs> yeah it's just funny that like Treebeard promises to keep him and then he's like eh he can't do much and then it's like well right well <laughs> yeah he yeah. can do enough he can do oh, enough yeah, yeah. yeah. Which we will see next time. We sure will. We sure will. Um, and with that, I just want to say, like, thank you so much to you both for this lovely conversation. Um, 
there's a there's a lot of highs and, and lows in this episode so uh this was really fun and i appreciate you both so much for uh diving in with me and and talking mount doom i mean what an honor to have these these chapters like this is this is a big chapter to have so i am am very appreciative and very honored to jump in here and uh and talk about it so thank you so much for having me we really appreciate you being on and you know when we're talking hobbit uh we'll call you again let me know i'll be here <laughs> sounds good <laughs> awesome thank you thanks see guys you. see so you fun. next time <laughs>